Please turn now in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. We're continuing our evening series in the book of James. You can find the passage tonight on, on page 1011 in your pew Bibles. We are looking at James, chapter 1. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, is writing to believers who have been scattered throughout the Greek world And he is giving them uh, instructions, not only in faith, but how to live by faith, as we will see further tonight in our passage, James chapter 1, verses 19 through verse 25. Hear now the word of our Lord. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As far as the reading of God's holy word, would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to grow in faith tonight. Help us to love your word, even as you teach us tonight to love your word. May we see your word the most important thing that we have day to day before us. And so we ask, O Holy Spirit, that you would help us to grow to be more like Christ, even this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we began the book of James a few weeks ago tried to show that the the theme of this letter could be found right at the front in verse 3 of chapter 1, in which James tells us or speaks of the testing of your faith. Now, I don't know how you feel about being tested. I remember when I was in school, and perhaps some of you are in school uh, these days, or either as a student or as a teacher. Perhaps you haven't been in school for a long time, but I'm sure that you can remember what it was like to have tests when there seemed to be no purpose to them. Nobody liked those tests. When you came to the test and you just wondered, what is the point? I remember certain days in my high school years where we were required to get out of class and had nothing to do with what we were studying and we had to go to another room and take these tests that didn't really do anything and I just remembered talking to my classmates what's the point this test doesn't seem to have one why don't you just let us go if you're not going to teach us anything now I will say that was a long time ago and perhaps you could uh, rebut me and say Ben i am thinking you probably probably did not have the best perspective 
or attitude towards these tests. Maybe you just didn't know what the point was, and there was a point, and maybe that's so. But I think that there are, for many of us, times in our lives where we have certain tests where we just wonder, what's the point? It may not be a paper test like you have in class, but there are all kinds of tests in our lives that God puts us through. And we wonder, God, what is the point of this? Why do I have to go through this? Verse 4 tells us God doesn't give us pointless tests. He doesn't. They all serve a purpose. And that purpose is that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so then he speaks of the trials of various kinds that we have. And, and these trials of various kinds, are, they're external. Uh, they're, they're things that happen to us. And they serve to make us more like Christ. And then last week we saw different kinds of trials or temptations that arise from the desires from within our hearts. And he tells us to remain steadfast. And that too, you could say, is a test. And that also serves to make us more like Christ. Now in our passage tonight, and James sort of pivots from looking at these, these tests, these, these trials of various kinds that we go through. And he, sa- he looks then and says, not only will God make you more like Christ through your trials of various kinds, but also he will make you more like Christ through his word. In fact, verse 18 is kind of this hinge that James uses to, to turn our attention from the trials that we endure to the focus of, of God's Word as being the instrument that He uses to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 18, Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Again, we saw last week that one of the primary ways you are to fight temptation is to remember who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. If you have believed upon Him, you are born again. You've been brought forth into newness of life by the Word of truth. God gives you new life through His Word. That's what verse 18 tells us. And this newness of life enables us to say no to temptation. And now in verses 19 through 25, he says, not only does God's word enable us to say no to temptation, it's not merely a tool to make us born again, but it is also God's instrument to transform our lives, to make us more like the Lord himself. Our passage, beginning in verse 19, uh, begins a section in James where he shows how the Word of God is applied to the believer's life and how we are to work out the the living out of God's Word in our lives. That the purpose and point of making you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, making you more like Christ Himself, is through the hearing and doing of God's 
word, the hearing and doing of God's word. And those are our two points for this evening's passage. The hearing of God's word in verses 19 through 21 is our first point. Would you look with me at verses 19 through 21? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James begins this section with this phrase, Know this, my beloved brothers. It's the kind of phrase that that really gets your attention. Know this, is what he is saying. You say, okay, what do I need to know, brother James? What do I do? You tell me to to resist the temptation that comes from within my heart, to stand fast in the midst of the trials that come from outside of me and that I have to endure. What do I do? He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. These three rapid-fire commands that he gives. You may look at them and you see that there is a a reasonable sequence to them. You think about this, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you're to be quick with the first, and you're to be slow with the last two. In fact, when you look at these, to be slow to speak and slow to anger, it can only happen really if you do the first, to be quick to hear, to be quick to hear. You may say, well, Okay, he tells me to be quick to hear in verse 19, but what is it that I am meant to hear? Well, this is again a reference back to verse 18, that we are to hear the word of truth. We are to hear the word of truth. We are to listen to hear God's word, which has given you life. It's through the word, the speaking, and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, that you've been born again. And he says you are to continue to hear, to listen to it, to pay attention to it. You hear this, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think of the first two. The thing is, the, the sequence of these first two commands, if we think about our lives, to be quick to hear and slow to speak, is a kind of out of order, isn't it? From what we normally uh, do in our typical daily lives. For many of us, we value being quick to speak. We think of election season upon us. And you know, what determines how we vote? If, if a politician is unable to speak quickly, if a politician is unable to respond to a debate, all the pundits will say, oh, he doesn't know what to say. You can't vote for him. Or maybe you've been in an argument with your spouse or a classmate or somebody, and you've lost that argument. And you might recognize, you know, the reason why I lost that argument wasn't because of the logic that my opponent displayed, but my opponent was quicker to speak. And then even socially, not only in our debates that we have, but socially, who is it that we are drawn to often? We're drawn to the people who speak the most, who are quick to speak, especially when they're funny or when they're entertaining. 
But God is telling us for us to be people who are not quick to speak. He instead reorders the way that we normally live our lives. The ordering of the Christian life is opposite of how we typically live. One of the ways godly character is evident in someone's life is not when they're quick to speak, when they're the loudest in the room, the one who wins all the debates, but when they are quick to hear, when they listen, when they understand God's Word and they understand what's going on. And that it's not that they don't speak, but they're slow to speak. In fact, when we are quick to speak, what it shows is that we think that what we have to say is more important than what we are listening to. And that our opinions, that my opinions, somehow have greater authority than yours. And James is saying to us, you are in great danger, Christian, when you start to think that your opinions have greater authority than God's Word. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. You can only be that way if you're someone who recognizes others as more important than himself. Who sees God's word as greater than even my own opinion. You might want to think about it this way. with The friends that you have. Who are the friends that you need the most when you're really down and out? It's those who really focus on you. Who really listen to you. Really understand your troubles will put their phones down, put it on silent and put their phones away and look at you and give you attention and listen. We sang this morning what a friend we have in Jesus. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus is truly the greatest friend that any of us have. In 1 John chapter 5, the Apostle says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He says, look at your Savior. Look at his posture towards you. We have a Savior who invites us. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Who's inherited uh, all the kingdoms and the nations of the world. And he invites us to speak to him. To unburden our souls to him. And he hears them. He listens to you as you come to him. And if you're going to speak well to people, what do you have to do first? You have to listen to them. You have to open your heart as well as your ears to hear and understand their burdens and their troubles. And then be slow to speak so that when you speak, you speak well. That you speak appropriately to the issue. To be quick to hear, slow to speak. And when you do this, and you do this in this order, that will lead you to being slow to anger. I think when you look at these these quick commands here, That there's a connection that suggests if you are someone who is quick to speak and slow to hear, then you're more likely to be quick to anger. And really, doesn't that describe the day that we live in so well? On 
on the internet. You can hop on any social media of your choice without actually knowing what the topic is. Get into the the chat room or whatever. Get into the comments and just start a debate. And blast out your own opinions. And when someone disagrees, you get into this angry argument and your blood pressure rises. And it's usually about something that neither one of you even know anything about. We, We live in a culture in a time that that really sort of fans the flame to our anger to be slow to hear to quick to speak quick to anger and here James is telling us anger is not a good thing anger is not a good thing now you might want to be quick to point out well what about that righteous anger that I have had Jesus had righteous anger Maybe so. But I want you to be honest with yourself when you are angry towards someone or think back when you have been angry with someone. When was the last time your anger actually edified the other person? Or enabled them towards seeing Christ clearly? Or drew them towards true worship of the living God? We think of the Righteous anger of Christ when he overturned the tables. He was showing, this is not true worship. Look to God. Is that what your anger is doing? Showing others the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20 tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Is your anger producing righteousness? Is it fruitful towards righteousness? I was thinking of Jonah sitting there angry at God's mercy towards Nineveh. And God asks Jonah a question, do you do well to be angry? Maybe you can ask yourself that. Do I do well to be angry right now? Does my anger produce the righteousness that God requires? Brothers, sisters in the Lord, you must be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then if you are angry, perhaps it could be righteous anger. But make sure that your order is God's order. Make sure your order is God's order. James continues in verse 21 by telling us, Therefore, With all of this, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now, this language of putting away here gives the sense, James is using a word that gives the sense that you would take off something. You would take off like a, a, a dirty jacket that perhaps you've fallen into a mud puddle and it's covered in mud. Your clothes are covered in mud and you, you take it off. Other places in the Bible speak of when you become a believer in Christ or a new creation in Christ, you are told to put off your old self like you were to take off dirty clothes. I don't know if you've ever found yourself coming home and perhaps you get drenched in rain or you have mud all over you uh, or you have other food falls on your tie after church, you're having lunch with people, you just can't wait to get home and take off your clothes and And get clean. Put on some clean clothes. 
we are being told here to take off all moral filthiness. Moral filthiness. So filthiness is not speaking of literal dirt here or mud or grime or spilled food. It's speaking of immorality. That is the filthiness we are to take off as you would take off dirty, stinking clothes. Just as Lazarus, when he was raised from the grave, I am sure the first thing he did when he could was take off his grave clothes that smelled of the grave and death. When you are born again by the Spirit, you are to take off your old and immoral ways. What's also interesting about this command is that, as I've seen a couple of commentators point out, that this word for filthiness is not only speaking about a moral filthiness or immorality, immoral sin, but this is the the word in Greek that would have been used in the Greek medical world to to describe earwax. Talking about earwax that is built up in your ears so that you can no longer hear. Has that ever happened to you? Where you have so much in your ear you just can't hear well anymore? That's quite a picture, isn't it, that James has given us. And he's saying, you need to get rid of all that is immoral, all that filth, all that sin that you've carried over from your old life. That remaining sin that has just continued to build up and that builds up over time and is now preventing you from hearing God's word. You say, well, how do I know if I can't hear well? Well, do you ever find yourself when you come to church and you hear preaching of the word? You may know the words of the Bible and the scriptures, and maybe you even do a daily, regular, quiet time but then none of it actually does anything in your heart. None of it, you may read the pages, you may hear the preaching, and you may walk away and just think, "Uh, that's fine, and you move on with life. When it no longer has any movement into your heart to reshape and change and challenge and enable you to see your sin, And to see Christ more clearly. Have you felt like you've stopped growing in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps there's been moral filth, filthiness building up over time. Like there's a buildup of spiritual earwax muting God's word. James says we are to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 21. So he says he's removed that moral filthiness. And then when we do that, what we are to do is to receive with meekness the implanted word. It's such an interesting sentence here. We're told to receive something. We're told to receive something uh, with meekness, which we'll see in uh, the importance of that in the moment. But it says to receive the implanted word. And you may look at this and say, well, how do I do that? If it's already implanted, haven't I already received it? Don't I already have it? How can I receive something that is already there? Well, we need to remember James is writing to 
people who are already believers. He opens up in verse 19, calling the readers, my beloved brothers. He's talking to people who've already been born again in Christ. The word has already brought them forth into newness of life. And so he's saying you already have the word of God written onto your hearts. You've, been already, you've already been given a new heart already. But there is a failure in your life. There is a failure to live up to that word that has given you new life. Does that describe you? James is saying this is pretty common in Christian experience. For the believer to fail to live up to God's word. When you, when you believe in Christ, but you've let sin build up so much that the instruction of God's word is not really doing anything for you. When you don't really pay attention to it. And it doesn't seem to matter to your life the way that you live. And so James is saying, this is urgent, friends. Know this. Remove that earwax. Get it out of there so that you can receive God's word day by day. Because you need it every day in order to walk by faith. You need the word of God to penetrate into the depths of your heart so that your life may be shaped and influenced by the word of God in every area of your life. And he's saying you need to receive God's word with meekness. To, be, to receive it humbly. He's saying you need to have a posture on your knees before God's word. Because it is your sin, it is your temptations, it is your desires that is the, enables that buildup of sin, of moral filth in your life. And he says you need to recognize that these problems, they come from you. And it is from the word of God that you will find life. He's saying you're not going to find answers to your problems within yourself. The problems that you have, you need to go to God's Word. You need to see it. You need to hear it clearly. Hear it well. And let it penetrate into the soil of your heart. So that out of your heart, your life will, will blossom into the godliness and Christ-like living. And so our attitude ought to be when we open God's word is to say, God, your word is right. Whatever you say, whatever you say is right, even if I don't like it, even if it hurts. We need to have open ears. We need to be hearers of God's word. We also need to be doers. Secondly, if you look at verses 22 through 25, James tells us we need to be hearers. Now he says in verses 22 through 25, we need to be doers. We are to receive the word. We are to be hearers to get that spiritual earwax out. We are to hear the word and receive the word of God. And in verses 22 through 25 says, now not only be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's saying, don't deceive yourself. He said that in the verses we looked at last week. He's repeating his point. Don't deceive yourself. 
You need to hear God's word. And, and, and if it penetrates to your heart, you're going to become someone who starts doing God's word. If we only hear God's word and don't do it, we are, again, we're, we're subjects of self-deception. And we need to be reminded, it's not those people out there that I need to blame. But it's me. It's me deceiving myself. James, to help us understand the point of verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves, gives us an illustration, verses 23 through 25. Uh, He shows us two men basically looking into a mirror. In verse 24, you have one man who looks into the mirror and he sees his face, his natural face, and he goes away and he forgets what he saw. And then in verse 25, we see a man who looks into the Word of God. He looks into the, the law, into the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who, who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And so he's putting up the Word of God, the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law that gives life. As, and he says, This is like a mirror. And you have the one man who looks at his face, he walks away, he forgets. You have another man who looks into the Word of God, he looks into the mirror of God's Word, he studies it, and then he walks away and he does it because he's focused on it, he has meditated upon it, he has put it into his heart and he has done it, and he has walked away blessed. Now what's the difference between these two men? It's not that one has read God's word and the other hasn't. They both look into the word of God. That's the mirror. But for one man, he merely takes a glance at it. And then he moves on and the word doesn't really have any effect in his life whatsoever. Have you ever done that? Oh yeah, I've read, I read a chapter in you know, Obadiah and I don't know what that has to do with me. I'm just going to move on and go about my business today. But the other man has looked into the word, and he doesn't just take a quick glance, but he he gazes into the scriptures. He meditates upon it. He studies the law of liberty, and he applies it to his heart and his life, and he does God's word. He does what God commands, and he is a blessed man. That's what it says at the end. He will be blessed in his doing. Of course, I can't help but think of the blessed man and and not think about Psalm 1, which tells us, Blessed is the man who does not walk or stand or sit in the counsel of the wicked. What does he do instead? The blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. The psalmist is saying the same thing here. You want a blessed life? Look into the word of God. Meditate upon it. Know it. Apply it to your life and do it. This is taking us to the gospel. Because we know in Psalm 1, and we know from James that there's only one man who truly has persevered, who's looked into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevered fully, who was uh, no hearer who forgot, but did, but was a doer who acts. One who's always listened. 
One who's always done his Father's will. One who's never been a hearer who forgets. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. If we miss this, uh, ultimately I could tell you, go do, do, do. And you say, but I can't, I fall short over and over again. If we miss this, then we try to do everything under our own power, we're going to fail. But if we realize that Jesus has done this in our place, that he fulfilled the law of liberty completely and fully, and that he has gone to the cross taking our sin, So that we can be forgiven before God, washed clean and stand as righteous before God. And that it is in Him and going to Jesus on the cross that we can find new life. It is in Him that we have the resources and find the resources to change. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you love His Word? If you do, then you won't treat worship like you're in a rush. Like you're running late to work and you only have enough time to brush your hair and move on. We don't treat the worship of God that way. We don't treat the reading of Scripture this way. But instead, we will be able then and will seek to put away this sin that builds up and that Christ has forgiven us. The sin that builds up, that has been blocking God's word from directing my life. To hear God's word and do it. To have God's word penetrate my heart and shape my life so that everything that I do and every aspect and part of my life will reflect Christ. It is God who implants. He is the one who gives his word. He saves our soul. It is all of him. But now, Christian, you need to go and do it. Have every area of your life directed by it. Read, study, meditate, know God's word. And so be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Receive the word of God with meekness and press it into the deep parts of your soul so that your life will be changed by it. So that your life no longer embraces sin and allows that buildup but instead embraces Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven you of your sins. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear and to do your word. May we love you well, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.